When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever. So you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's sentence clarity rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts. Hello, welcome to episode 123 of... And on this episode, I'm talking to Charlie George, a brilliant comedian, and not to be confused with the Arsenal player from the 70s. She is really funny. I would advise you to check her out. I could have talked to her all day. In fact, she ended up interviewing me for some of this chat. Uh, Absolutely brilliant. So last time I was chatting, I was talking about my sore foot plantar fasciitis, the worst little niggly thing that can possibly happen to a person who likes to uh, walk or run and I still have a little bit of it on my le- right l- left side of my heel and I haven't been able to run for over a week and it's very frustrating so on Sunday I went for a long walk thinking that would might stretch out my heel and foot a bit um, and I put on my football shorts and went for a walk down by the Boyne River and as I went on this walk I realised that the path goes through lots of wild plants and weeds and some of those plants in fact a majority of them are nettles and I was uh, getting stung a little bit but not too badly but as you know when you go on a walk like I walked along uh, for a good two hours down by the down the river and then I turned back but I was in a bit of a hurry to get back so I said I just said oh to hell with it and I was getting stung on my elbows and hand and knee and thigh and calf and you know after a while you realize the net sting it only lasts for about five or ten minutes and uh, and uh, I think maybe perhaps there's a little maybe it's my Catholic upbringing maybe I like a little bit self self-pain you know sting me i've probably done something in my life that deserves this sting um and uh when i got home though that evening there's a slight tingling feeling which is quite pleasant 
after the walk, tingling on the legs where I was stung. So I wouldn't advise you to get stung by a nettle, but uh, there are there are nice bits to it. What a lovely day it was, and every now and then I'd stop and look at the river and admire the beauty of nature and hear the plop of a fish, perhaps, or it could be a bird plopping near the river and watching my dog, well, my daughter's dog, uh, enjoy, just enjoy a big, long walk in nature. And it's beautiful. It was beautiful. Been watching the, uh, the controversy over wearing masks. It goes on and on. I don't know if you are on Facebook often, but it's non-stop. There's pro-masks, anti-masks. I was at the supermarket and people were wearing masks. And I'm not wearing a mask because I won't be told what to do. And the reasons for not wearing masks are insane. One uh, little thing that I saw was uh, it deprives you of oxygen. If you're wearing a mask that deprives you of oxygen, what kind of mask are you wearing, for Christ's sake? The other one is that you're rebreathing your carbon dioxide. Similar, similarly, carbon dioxide and oxygen I can go through any cloth or paper mask. The unless you're wearing a metal mask then your oxygen and your carbon dioxide will have no problem getting through the other one is it suppresses your immune system because it it doesn't let uh, bugs and dirt into your mouth so it suppresses your immune system what a load of bullshit um so anyway, there's just loads of this fake. Imagine if I said I'm not wearing, I'm not wearing uh, uh, underpants anymore. I'm not wearing them because the government wants you to wear underpants, and they're there because it creates a warmth around your crotch area, and therefore suppresses your uh, production of sperm. And they just want to make everybody. Uh, just uh, fertile uh, or in, unfertile infertile and they, they don't want us having children they want to turn us into robots by making us wear underpants and then when they will turn us into robots Bill Gates and George Soros will make us work for them for nothing and they'll be uh, ruling the world it's literally this conspiracy theory rubbish which is similar to something you would see in a in, in its intellectual uh, capacity, it's similar to what you would see in children's cartoons on in the afternoon about bad guys ruling the world and uh, trying to turn people into robots. It's insane, but there's a lot of it on Facebook. Uh, now, of course, there's a lot of it on Facebook. There could be a small minority of people, mostly mostly men, and. Uh, I just don't understand it. I just don't understand it. I mean, it's we've come a long way. We've come a long way with science. We understand the world. Uh, we've got medicine. We're not just doing uh, hokey-cokey stuff anymore. You know, 100 years ago, probably, you know, or maybe 150 years ago, the doctors didn't really know what they were at. 
and it was all superstition and things like that and putting um fucking those glass things on your back to sucky cups and all that kind of malarkey but now we've a bit more understanding of, of um uh the biology and how viruses work and people live much longer now but then but for some reason some people want to go no 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 not going for that not 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 gonna for that now uh because they are all lying to us everyone all the nurses all the doctors they're all lying to us making up this pandemic um it's uh everybody pretty much everybody is in on it except me and my few mates who are, have woken up and everyone else is asleep. Uh, the Matrix film has a lot to answer for. I'm sure that's where it all comes from. I mean, you could say, yes, none of this is all real. That's a possibility. That your whole life is not real. That you are living in a dream. But you don't. But there's no way of proving that or disproving it. And you have to go with it. And uh, kind of go, well, I'd say there is a pandemic because epidemics have happened before and killed hundreds of thousands of people. So, yeah, it's happening now. This is reality. And wearing a mask they from uh, research uh, that they've done in the last few months seems to be able to stop the uh little micro droplets from either leaving you or even coming in towards your mouth so maybe that works okay all right so there's the little old ranty pant over and so here we go and i'm talking to charlie george and charlie george uh is uh, i got straight into the uh into the fact i asked her if her mother was is a Jehovah's Witness. Go straight in there with that question first off. Here we go. Charlie George. Yes, my mum is a Jehovah's Witness. Yes, she's still very active. Oh, is she? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, did you get involved in that when you were growing up? Yes, I was a former God saleswoman. Were you? Yeah, I was really shit at it, really, really bad at it. But I did try to sell God to many, many people in the neighbourhood. And then you drive out to other little villages and do it, dressed like an Amish person. It was horrific. Really? Knocking <laughs> yeah. on doors? Yeah. Are you religious? No. I was brought up in uh, the Catholic religion. I was, I was an altar boy for a year. I hated it, actually. I got stage fright. And um, at the end of a year of being an altar boy, we were given a little day out in a Butlins-type place. But uh, I, unfortunately, I went over my bicycle handlebars and smashed my face, so I couldn't even go. So I thought that was God punishing me for not taking being an altar boy seriously. Yeah, I've often felt that God is punishing me. I still think he might be, but like, uh, no, I, I used to, I remember knocking on people that I went to school with. You'd have to knock on the door yeah. of like the school bully and just be like, I'm just going to do my little spiel about Jesus whilst wearing <laughs> this skirt. My mum's behind me. And then hope that on Monday 
you wouldn't get your head kicked in too badly. So yeah, it's it's pretty cringe, isn't it? Religion has. So I can imagine you in a little altar boys thing. How long did, were you doing that for? I just did a year, um, and then I was kind of uh, asked to do another year. So my mother was sick; she had cancer, and 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 we knew she was going to die. And the priest wanted me to be an altar boy for another year, so that I'd be an altar boy at her funeral. Well, how nice of him. But I refused. That's a tough gig right there, altar boy at a funeral. I mean, I suppose mm-hmm. the aim is that you just sing and, and everybody cries. To be honest, like, I'm not really into a lot of religious music, but that stuff where they get the little kids there singing, it does really hit you in the chest. You're like, children singing. <laughs> it's all very exploitative, isn't it? It's very much so, yeah. So, But I did go to Mass every Sunday until I was 18, until I left home. Yeah. And so how did you get into comedy? I'm interviewing you. Do you know what I've done? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes a change. Yeah. Uh, no, I was in a band for about five years till I was about 25. I wanted to be, I was. What kind of music? It was very like, uh, New Order-ish. It started off as a New Order-y sounding band and ended up being Rockabilly. Oh my God. Fuck off. I lo- Am I allowed to swear? I've been, I'm a- yeah, you can swear. Yeah. I'm not religious anymore, and my mum doesn't follow my work, so I'm like, fuck it, I'm free. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, I used to, there's a pub in Holloway Road. I mean, obviously, I don't know if it's yeah. still open now. It might have been shut down, but it's a rockabilly pub, and I used to go there a lot and, like, go out in Camden and stuff. And I love that whole style and that whole scene, like the vamps and stuff. And that's yeah. cool. I play the drums. Do you play the drums, yeah? Yeah, very badly. And I started a riot girl punk band called the Femme Fatales. And we were all dancers and performance artists. And we just used to do these, like, these shows that would descend into fucking chaos. Like, none of us can play our instruments properly. We end up smashing up the whole thing and dry humping <laughs> our instruments and then just fucking off. Oh, um, sounds amazing. <laughs> what was your band called? band called Guernica. You know, like, after the painting, the Picasso painting. Wow. I don't think I know that painting. Can you describe it to me? Well, uh, it's a painting to commemorate the town of Guernica in the Basque region of Spain was bombed by the fascists. And uh, 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 Picasso painted this massive painting of kind of like a bomb going off and there's like horses in agony and bulls' heads and people screaming and blah. And... um, it's quite a good painting, yeah. It's in Madrid, though, so it was quite controversial. I can look it up and see what it's like. And so you were inspired by that to name your band that? What was the connection? Well, I didn't actually name the band. They were named before I joined. It was the bass player. I, I don't know. I, I guess he was looking at the painting and liked it and then liked the idea that it was an anti-fascist painting. and Good name, you know? Yeah, yeah. N- not a great name for... DJs to say and stuff like that. Yeah. Do people struggle with pronouncing it? I always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, in that sense, it probably wasn't a good thing. And name, so but... you were performing in a band, and then how did you get towards like? Well, I uh, uh, we used to actually get uh, comedians to support the band sometimes. Not not that there were many comedians in Ireland at the time, but uh, uh, we'd one or two. And then a friend of mine, Paul Tylak, who was really into comedy I uh, did it once and then I hung out with him and we started doing a double act I, I, it was a, more like a sketch comedy we did oh. uh, 
And uh, it started from there. The band broke up and I thought at 25, I'm too old to do music anymore. So I went for comedy. Oh, that's so brilliant. I love how, I love people's comedy stories because they often involve failing at something else. And they all, and I love that like, so I'm 32 and I'm going to say that openly and my agent is going to, is probably screaming somewhere right now that I've done that because this is going to go online. But like, I'm starting to embrace my age, right? But like, I tell other people that and they look at me like I've just done a crap on the floor and I'm like, what do you mean? Like, because I'm surrounded by um, like quite young people at the moment on the comedy circuit or have been in the past. And like, yeah. I just think it takes you a while sometimes to get to your thing. But I also love that young people think that being 32, like teenagers, 19 to 26 year olds think that being in your 30s is really old. And I love that you at 25 are just like, my life is over. I need a new career path. <laughs> so young. <laughs> like... I really did think, yeah, that after 25, you shouldn't be in a band. And then I read, years later, I read about Jarvis Cocker not even making it till he was about 32 or something. I console myself with stories about people. Like, I regularly, when I'm having stress about what I'm doing, read a list of, like, people who didn't make their best work until they were over 50. Just so I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, I'm fine. <laughs> it's it's going to be okay. Because I think this is the thing about being creative, right, is, like... um People always expect maybe sort of like a linear trajectory or like there's this fallacy that it just happens and it's all kind of shiny. But like, I think people don't realize it's like you can even get a bit of success and then just fuck up and disappear. You know who I regularly think about? No, who? Pat Sharp (laughs) from like this TV show when I was a kid. And um, he used to do Pat Sharp's Fun House or something. And I always think about children's presenters that were like the big thing at a certain time. And you think that you're important and you're sexy and they're all over the sun for maybe doing something naughty or whatever happens. And then Mm. it's like a decade, fast forward a decade later and no one knows who the fuck you are. Mm. All these people are growing up. And like when I talk to some people now about my references, because I always liked really old stuff anyway, like old rock and roll or metal music. Mm. They just talk about, they're just like, who? Like, I, it just all it just goes out of date and it makes you realise that no matter what you do, you will always be unimportant. Um, which is Absolutely. exactly what I tell my niece and nephew um, and my sister tells me I should stop talking to them. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what you do, you will always end up unimportant. You'll always become, yeah, you'll always become obsolete to someone. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but listen, come here. Did you do a circus performance? I read that on your on your website. Yeah. So um, I ran away and joined the circus. Mm. When I say that, like, did you ever have a teacher that just sort of sorts that's just great? Like everybody usually has like one great teacher story. Do you? Yeah, I think in primary school I had a, a very good teacher. Yeah, well, I got lucky and mine was in secondary school and he just gave, like, my life was sort of falling apart and my family were falling apart and everything was a bit nuts. And he gave me um, a brochure for, like, this circus school. It's like classic middle-class, like, problem child, let's funnel them into the arts. That'll be great. (laughs) (laughs) She'll never make any money or really learn how to look after herself and will probably have deep-rooted mental health problems. But here you go, juggle. (laughs) And, (laughs) And, like... But you know what? I'm fucking grateful to him because uh, I must have been about 16 and I went down to Bristol. I still remember it was pissing it down with rain and I went on my own to like this city that I'd never been to for the first time from Swindon. And 
to this little audition and I had to juggle and I was shit and then I had to get on trapeze and I was shit and then I did a monologue and even then I think I wanted to do comedy but I just didn't know that you could and I made the woman laugh and then I got a place on the course and that was my equivalent to A-levels and it sort of completely changed the direction of my life because I don't know what I would have done probably not I've got pregnant like a lot of girls in our town because I wasn't really into stuff like that and I was very disgusting <laughs> and a bit of a dirty girl I don't think that would have happened I was a bit gross is getting, um, is getting pregnant an option when you go to uh, career guidance well our careers advisor was just like do you like it was a pretty straight up, you know. I went to quite a rough comprehensive in Swindon and I changed schools twice. But the first school, he was like, do you want to be a lorry driver or an English teacher? And then there was a receptionist. That was it. Mm. You could be a receptionist. That was kind of a, a respectable job. And mm. lots of girls at our school dropped out really young and had babies with older boys. And I wasn't really interested in boys. I was more interested in girls, so... Uh, the pregnancy thing wasn't going to happen. I just didn't know what I did. I probably would have been an alcoholic, I think. And <laughs> yeah, that would have been my thing. So instead, I went to the circus school in Bristol, and it was great. Like, um, I think it gave me a discipline and like a structure. And I think there was a lot of wild kids on our course because there's something about doing something that's very, um, very like intense training and involves a lot of risk and like I just became really disciplined I'd wake up every day and just go and work really hard at it and I became like an aerialist so I used to do rope and Spanish web in the circus for a bit um mm. wow that feels, like, feels like ages ago now it's a weird thing to do but even then you know a lot of my pieces were comedic so I would put music to them and I'd kind of try and do something funny like they always involved me sort of getting tangled in the rope and falling apart or being a silly character um and oh, sometimes yeah. we used to do victoria wood skits with a really bad northern accent it yeah. was embarrassing i used to put my hair in like one of these like little handkerchief things and pretend i was smoking a fag in the kitchen mm. so. like like dinner ladies or something yeah because i love that series yeah i was really inspired by her she's probably the only like her and French and Saunders were the only women I'd seen doing comedy. And do you know what? It was some two Irish jugglers who were stoned in the kitchen mm-hmm. said to me, like, you're funny, but they were like, do you want to do comedy? Because they were like, you'll just end up fat and alone. <laughs> really? And I was just like so stunned. And like, so they had actually admitted, they didn't do the whole women aren't funny thing, but they'd implied that like, if you're going to be a funny woman, you're going to end up just sad and alone eating cake, crying. And so I was just like, oh, I'll go into dance then instead. And so I ended up becoming a dancer and a, and a circus performer for many years. But I always loved comedy, you know? Um, yeah. Did you have like a mentor or someone who got you like to, got you into the circus? Yeah, I- my friend Paul Tylak, who uh, I met when I, he was about 20, he was about 19 or something. I was 22 or something. We just met randomly in a place. It was weird, actually. I met this guy, Paul, who just come over from London. He just was on his own. And uh, we met and he, he had a, a water pistol and he, he took it out and went, I don't know, put your hands out or something. And I had a water pistol as well in my back pocket. And, it was just like that moment when we went, that's insane. We're like mates for life. Do you know what I mean? So nice. And um, he was really into comedy. So he was like into watching uh, lots of 
uh, Steve Martin films and stuff like that, which I I hadn't didn't know about. And yeah, he got me into it. That's great. It's nice when you have someone to do stuff with. When you mentioned about being in a double act, I do feel sometimes everything that I've done before I started doing stand up a couple of years ago was. I can't believe it took me that fucking long as well to actually have the gall to do it. But because um, I felt like I've been doing comedy in lots of other ways, you know. Um, but when I finally took the leap, I remember the shock of doing something completely on your own. Mm. Like compared to like, I loved, you know, when you've got someone to bounce off, it's quite, it felt easier to be funny because you're interactive. And suddenly it's like this process. I remember like pacing up and down outside like pubs, just like I've got everything sort of sweating off my hand. And then I'm like, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And it's just you. And I remember like having to give myself these pep talks in the toilet just to be able to do it because I was mm. like, I'd always plan B. I was like, if they hate you, what's the nearest escape route? <laughs> like how do you get out of the pub if it all goes to shit? Mm. And then I started doing this thing where, I would like have to try and practice my set beforehand to a stranger so that I knew that I could say it. And I had this big wall about speaking in front of people because I'd spent years being a physical performer now and was mm. terrified. So I used to create these people that were like heroes of the gig. And I basically just approached them in the pub garden and be like, can I do some comedy at you? And they'd be like, what? And I did it once to someone in Pret-a-Manger. And then I did it to this couple who I hope are still together because they were really lovely. Um, in the garden of this pub and I do my set at them. And then if they laughed and like, or even if they looked a bit awkward because the whole situation was a bit weird, I was like, okay, I can do it to you. I can do it to a room full of other people. This will be easier. So yeah. yeah. Did you, did you but, ever do stand up? Oh no, I do stand up now, but it took me a while. I did uh, sketch comedy and musical comedy maybe for a few years. So it was really, I found it really difficult to actually break into stand up. I found that uh, terrifying to be, and also to be just using my own voice because I was used to being characters. But to be me, that took me a while to uh, get used to. Do you think it's easier when you're older? Uh, only from ex experience. I mean, I've experience of all sorts of different kinds of rooms and I've done all the wrong things. You know, I've died on my arse because I made ridiculous mistakes and I know not to do them now. And so I'm not, I'm not, I'm quite calm going on stage now, but I used to be terrified, terrified. So, um, I mean, I think, it got, you know what's really weird though, is when you're younger, um, everybody wants to review you and blah, blah, blah. And then as you get older, I, I, I feel I'm much better as a comedian, but uh, nobody, um, uh, you're not the new thing. So, no. Yeah, I think the industry has that. And I just think in general, it's, I think that's a wider societal issue of like ageism. Like we're just so nuts about that. Like you see that all the time. But I think there's something about the shiny and new that people just get attracted to because everybody wants to find the next big thing. But I can see that even from some peers that I know of, like you get to a certain point, you do really well in competitions, then you're like shiny and new, you get signed by an agent. It's all very exciting. And then it goes through like a different process again of like actually trying to get any work and like, mm. can you really make it in this, industry and then the different levels of that of like oh you know you get something optioned or picked up and then you realize that like most of the job is rejection like nothing you'll go to like 10 million meetings and nothing happens uh most people won't remember you um you get put forward for weird stuff as well like I remember getting asked to do self-tapes when I first started and I'm just like you do know that I can't act like I can do me in everything like that's yeah. <laughs> and I, like, just filming yourself 
in your own garden saying some of the worst lines ever. <laughs> yelling about pigs or something about like, don't cut off his penis over and over again. <laughs> like just in the garden. And my neighbours must be like, is she having a breakdown? <laughs> um, and I didn't even fucking get the part as well. Like, you know, so it is oh. a weird one. And I, I can imagine like, that's why I've been told before not to tell people my age because people might think that I'm younger. But I want to be honest about it because I'm just like, it did take me a while to figure out what I wanted to do. But I also don't think that I'm old and I think I have a long time to get good at something. And I still... And I think the best comics, like, do have a lot of experience, have a lot of maturity. They know themselves a little bit better. And it is just one of those skills that, like, you have to do it a lot to get good. So yeah. I'm likely to be a bit older when I finally get better at my craft. Yeah, but you know, I think as well, uh, I think you've got to have a little bit of life experience to have something to talk about. You know, something really... Uh, you know, something really to talk about, as opposed to just talking about video games and... Or Tinder jokes, dating uh, jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the general things that go in the cycle, definitely. I think that's what I love about, like, the comics I love. Like, you know, I love some more in America. I like a lot of America comics, Wonder Sykes. Maria Bamford's great, and it's like oh, she took so amazing. long to to accelerate into in industry terms but in terms of her stand-up it was always great but she also has been on this like mad mental health journey and I think the way that she's found a way to translate and communicate specifically who she is and what her unique experience is has mm. just been refined over time it just gets better and better like her recent special is just like howling but it's also really soulful and it's about something and it's about humanity um mm, yeah she's amazing I actually gigged with her twice in in Dublin yeah, she's so nice as well. Yeah, um, I saw her at, I'm trying to think, Leicester Square maybe, someone got me a ticket, it was, it was great. Yeah. You write a lot, don't you, as well, Charlie? You you, you write scripts and, and... Yes, I feel like that's what I've been doing more of, but then, you know, when the world gives you a pandemic, <laughs> <laughs> what do you do, eh? I don't really have the end of that saying yet, but that should be the new when life gives you lemons. It should be like, when life gives you a pandemic. Yeah. Wear a fucking mask? That could be... Um, yeah. I don't know great. what to make. It's, uh, I don't know what to, to replace lemonade with, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. You've got to try and find the right cadence. Um, <laughs> yeah, so with live stuff going, I think I just felt like I should focus on that more. But I had had some great, like, lucky opportunities. So, like... I think because I did well in the competitions and I signed and um, got put in front of people, they were like, oh, we want to have, you know, we'll trial you writing on something. So I got into some writer's rooms trialing and that was really great and terrifying. Just like around a room of like giants that you really respect and you're like sweating and you're like, everything that I'm going to pitch might be a bit shit. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. is it it really, uh, are you just nervous about putting your idea forward and... In front of these people who who are, like, just great writers. Yeah, obviously, because you're less experienced. But do you know what? Good people that are really nice, and that's who I've met so far, is, like, really nice people that are quite supportive. And they want to develop new talent. So, basically, you're not going to learn what that process is like of making something collaboratively, making a TV show collaboratively, until you're in the room. So, they're not judging too harshly, I don't think. But, like, I think I did have to get over all of that anxiety and realise that, like, once you settle in and you actually just chat to people... Similar to you describing your double act to a friend is I think comedy 
comes from like play and from feeling relaxed. You can't really come up with great ideas if you're really uptight. So I think the fact, the more you feel comfortable to just say any old shit and sit in the shit of like, I've just said something, it's not very funny. <laughs> we'll move on from that. And <laughs> it doesn't devalue me as a human being. And then you just try the next joke and then that's cool. So I did a bit of that, which was really great. And then I've been writing my own scripts during lockdown. And um, yeah. Have you shot any stuff on your own during lockdown? I'm shit at stuff like that. No, my script has just got options, which is so exciting, but I'm just learning what that means. So that means that, like, it may get made, but it also might not. (laughs) But it is exciting. Um, Yeah, that's amazing. But no, do you do online content? I find it really... I've done a few. At the beginning of lockdown, I was really into it, uh, and I did a few... uh, yeah, on my own. But in the last two weeks, I've been shooting a, a, a web Sorry. series. With, was with, it characters? With... Sorry? Was it characters or stand-up you were doing? Uh, no, 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 characters. Yeah, 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 characters. I, I did a couple of things where I was uh, in therapy with myself and my alter ego. It was three of us. Wow. Oh, I'd love to watch some. This is so exciting. And then you said you're doing a web series. Are you in the web series as well? Or yeah, just... yeah. I just got contacted by a girl in New York who's shooting a web series called Interconnected, where she's shooting one uh, bit in New York with an actress out of work. And so I think she's doing one in India as well. And uh, so in Ireland, uh, we wrote, I wrote with her, and they, a small crew, and it's all been shot on iPhones, which is, it's wild. Like they have a few iPhones and the sound recording is in an iPhone in your back pocket in a little clip mic. It's all iPhones. Uh, it looks good though. So. Great. Well, you could do amazing stuff on things like that. I see this is the thing where it does show my age and my sort of slightly Amish upbringing is that like we weren't allowed anything for ages. And then I didn't get a smartphone. Like, I'm just a late bloomer. Like, I've just taken a long time to grow up. <laughs> and so I didn't get a smartphone until 2016, and it was because I was traveling to India, and I thought it'd be really nice to have pictures and send people pictures. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, oh. I'm trying to improve on these things, but mainly I just put puns or, like, pictures of dogs that I like online, and then I'm like, this is not good for my brand. <laughs> <laughs> And did you, uh, were you watching movies and stuff when you were young? Were you not allowed to watch, like, movies or that kind of thing? It wasn't as full on as, like, that beautiful film Cinema Paradiso where you couldn't see anything, but, like, Mm. you know, like, all the kisses and stuff. But, yeah, it was kind of like that. I remember sneaking downstairs late at night and Queer as Folk was on TV and I wasn't allowed to watch it because there was gay men in it and my mum was really anti, uh, just... Uh, human sexuality she was anti-human sexuality (laughs) and um Mm. and so that was a bit naughty and risque I remember watching that and I remember channel four used to be really punk and anarchic it's not so much anymore but they had a performance artist David Hoyle really late night on channel four and it was the first time I'd ever seen anyone in drag and I was just like what is happening Mm. (laughs) like it was so exciting but yeah no mainly we couldn't just Disney stuff you were allowed so like Mm. you know I grew so up that, thinking that I was like, I thought I was some someone else. Like the only other person that I knew that was brown was Pocahontas. And <laughs> she's Native American. She's not even, and she was based on the face of a white lady. So, you know. Does that mean that when you did start seeing 
all these films what was it like kind of blowing your mind at a, at a late stage in your life like or... yeah and I think there's a thing about repression where like you it's it sort of sends you in the direction that you weren't supposed to go in right which is like you become super like obsessed with stuff and like I think I was probably quite intentionally rebellious when I left home in a way that maybe if I'd been exposed to stuff I wouldn't I wouldn't so much but I sort of got tattoos really young and like wanted to like have different types of relationships and like was really open to polyamory and like meeting new people and like living this proper like hippie spiritual Mm. life like in Bristol where it's like the land of you know the land of hippies you know there's quite an alternative spirit in Bristol so it was great for me in that sense I used to live with a lot of other families that I would rent from and they would always kind of you know I'd end up in a drum circle naked basically let's put it that way (laughs) and I think it was a big part of um you know it's just like freedom and now it's really interesting as you age how you like now nothing really shocks me but I'm also quite boring and a bit uptight like I'm sort of starting to go back to maybe somewhere in between those two spaces where I'm just like yeah stop showing off you don't need to shag everyone shut up you know like it's weird how like I still have these like latent things from from my past coming back like do you have any of that with Catholicism or uh I'm quite open-minded I'm I'm, I've got a couple of kids well they're like and my daughter's at 19 and my son's 20. So I'm quite, I was kind of open-minded with that. And yet at the same time, aware of the dangers of drugs and things like that, but not uptight about it. Um, did you ever do drugs? Yeah, I did lots of them. Yeah. So you had a wild face too. I did a lot of drugs. Yeah. I never mentioned the drugs part. I just mentioned all the sort of nudity and weird hippie music, but yeah, that was definitely a thing that I did. I count myself lucky that, you know, I had a bit of a Bill Hicks experience where I was just like, this is great. <laughs> I'm really lucky because some people that I knew did completely, at circus school, did completely go bonkers and really harm themselves. And I think I got quite lucky that I never became addicted and I didn't take it so far that it, it was very yeah. festivaly for me. I took drugs to experience altered states in a festival environment. So not like every day. It wasn't like. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm the same. I, I was lucky not to be ever addicted. I, 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 and I always kind of self aware that I shouldn't go too far and stuff. But uh, listen, Charlie, we're actually running out of time here. I could talk to you all day, but the, the uh, meeting's going to run out. And before that happens, I need to ask you if you could recommend, because you were recommended by Katie Pritchard, actually. Um, yeah, what, what a sweetheart. I've yeah. definitely died on my ass in front of her a couple of times. So that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love your stuff, by the way. Oh, so we've got less than... Can you recommend uh, somebody quickly before we... Fatia Al Ghori, yeah. I'm going to recommend. And I can connect you with her, but she's really, really hilarious. And she has me howling. And it would be great for her to have this time and space to promote anything that she's she's working on. Yeah, she's super, super funny. And thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. I know I waffle on, but it's really nice to find out about you and your work. I will have to check out your um, your web series and stuff that you're doing. Oh, yeah. I'll send you a link when, I, when, I, when it's edited together. Thanks. It was really nice talking to you, Charlie. And I love your work. You're amazing. Bye. Bye.
Charlie George there, and next episode I will be talking to I think Erin Tett, and ab- she's an absolutely brilliant comedian. Great, great sketch stuff. She's done great sketch stuff on YouTube. Big fan of her work. Uh, well, I don't know when this is is if this is out today or or Wednesday. I'm doing a gig in Galway on Wednesday. Uh, the um, Probably today, but uh, Wednesday the 12th, if you're around Galway, and that's it. Yeah, that's it for me, mate. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for calling Toyota. This is Jan. How can I help? Hi. Thanks for telling my family and me about Toyota's national sales event. We got a new RAV4 during the event, and it's been great. Well, that makes me happy. Right now through September 6th, it is the best time to drive off in a new Camry Hybrid, Tacoma, and more. So what are you up to? You know, we took the RAV4 to a great spot, and now we're exploring a cave. Amazing. Yeah, my wife talked me into spelunking. I'm actually a complete and absolute amateur. Absolute amateur. Absolute amateur. Huh, I could have done without the echo on that. Toyota's national sales event is on. Visit your participating Toyota dealer today to enjoy every last second of summer. Toyota, let's go places. See your participating Toyota dealer for details. Dealer inventory may vary. Event ends September 6th.